0: Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast community. Episode 158. Today we're doing a uh, rest in peace episode. John Meadows, all about his life and talking about his recent death as well. Steve Smee here and the mobs in the house. What's up, buddy? How you doing?
1: Oh good, but this is a super nice guy. I think we're gonna have some fun here. And there's definitely a lesson to be learned. So listen up, people.
0: So John Meadows, he was a pro bodybuilder, also a businessman. He actually didn't have the easiest childhood, which is surprising because he's such a nice guy, very very gentle giant. He still worked his way up in the bodybuilding world, became one of the most respected gentlemen in the industry. Peak stats: five foot six, two twenty five. Nickname: The Mountain Dog. In this in this podcast, guys, we're gonna celebrate his life. We're gonna talk about what steroids he could have used while at his peak. So. Early on in his life, he was born in rural Ohio, 1972. His father was never in his life. His mother died very young, really sad. He was raised by his very poor grandmother. John was a gifted athlete in college, um, in in school. Um, He played many sports, football, baseball, track, wrestling, Even for a guy his height, he was able to do very well at those sports. As a teenager, he took an interest in muscle, how muscles worked, how you could build them, how you can make them stronger. He loved the science behind bodybuilding. He started reading a lot of magazines. He started reading a lot of books, tried to learn everything he could. Using this knowledge, he started to lift weights And some days he'd be the only person at night while everyone else went home. At 13 years old, he competed in his first show. He finished last, but he was going up against guys who were older than him in their mid to late teens. This got him fired up. He didn't even weigh 120 pounds at the time, and he had no clue what he was doing. Just a short, skinny kid. In his late teens, his grandmother died. And he took this rough because he could not say goodbye to her. He ended up using that for motivation, and his bodybuilding career started to take off. So first major health issue, let's get get, get into that a little bit before we get into his career. So in 2005, he was prepping for a contest. He felt problems in his midsection. The issue kept getting worse, and he couldn't eat from the pain. Finally, he gave up, and he said, you know what, I need to go to a hospital. So a guy like him, he's not going to just run to a doctor after every little boo-boo. It's going to have to take a lot. So it must've been really painful. They diagnosed him with colon disease. His colon had also burst. He let it go so long that it actually burst and he was bleeding to death internally and the doctors had to remove his colon. So Gosh, that's a lot to overcome. So let's get into his career a little bit, Lobster. Do you have anything about his early life that you noticed? I'm just thinking, first
1: off, competing at age 13, I don't think we've come across anyone uh, in all the podcasts we've done or any of the podcasts you've done uh, as other parts of podcasts that we do for Evolution and we did the family there. Anyone that we know that's competed at the age of 13, damn, that's young. That is seriously, seriously young. Uh, to say he hasn't go home to get on stage when you're age thirteen and you weigh 120, twenty, man. Wow, Right there. The other thing, and and, and 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 it feels like we're skimming over it a little bit only because we, we intro, we're intro we're doing this introduction. His background, his upbringing to never mind, up to the age of 13. I mean, there was one comment I recall, which was kind of negative, and I don't want to be too negative because John's a fantastic guy, that his mum died early because of alcohol. So you've got seriously, seriously tough upbringing. And the man that he became is so good an example of how you don't have to let your upbringing, you don't have to let your background, you don't have to have that as a negativity in your life. And in fact, the positivity him overcoming that to be, get a pro card to become a bodybuilder to become the man that he was and that's without even getting into the medical issues as well which as you say you're going to get into i mean i i told steve in the pro show the i can't even begin to pronounce it's about four or five words long the medical the medical condition the the colon disease that he had uh there were some other podcasts that touched on this that and the other but the long and the short of it was Uh, the one of the more insightful ones specifically said it was one of 12 examples recorded in the last 30 or 40 years so uh, to say that he had a rare medical condition would be incredibly apt in this particular circumstance. there's nothing nothing about john comes across as kind of common uh, and and when and this is just the first medical issue that we're going to deal with never mind the rest that's
0: got to come back to you so overcoming that It took him a couple of years to recover from that. That's not something easy to recover from. Mm -hmm. We see this a lot. These guys we've been doing, they'll have a medical issue. They'll have something come up and then they'll come back. That's the champion. That's the heart of a champion versus other people who have something and then they'll just give up. So he had definitely a heart of a champion. After years of effort, he won his pro card in 2015. He took first place at MPC universe that same year, he got third place at the Tampa Pro in his weight class and fifth at the Vancouver Pro. The next year, he competed in three big contests, finishing the top 10, including the Arnold Classic and Toronto Pro. He competed for 20 years in total, although most of that was just at the amateur ranks. But that was really cool that he ended up getting his dream of becoming a pro. Anything you have to add, Mops sort of that?
1: Yeah, I'm just this is one of those things where just touch on the thing from before as well, right? And you mentioned about, you know, our guys sometimes give up or whatever else. It's important to note here, people, that most of the medical issues which relate, for example, heart issues, pulmonary issues, did not in this set of circumstances, and, and again, it's one of the two of the more insightful podcasts that we use as research for the one that we're doing right now, do not appear to have been connected to. Is PED use, but in fact of relating to the individual medical condition that's already been mentioned or, or touched upon. Um, whereas what we do see sometimes, of course, uh, Dallas McCarver is a good example where medical issues are ignored, and then you put, you know, you you end up three hundred plus pounds and you kind of screw yourself up. A good example of someone who is almost certainly moderate in their PED use has a medical issue again, which is unrelated to PED use, and yet is a world-class bodybuilder, would be Chris Bumstead. So what we see a lot of in, in, in these times is people that have kind of ruined themselves through drug use. John's issues were something he had from a young age and overcame in order to get to where he was, to become the man that he was. So it's important that we separate those two things out and we make sure that we say, listen, John overcame shit to get to become great and he was a really nice guy versus he made this stuff happen. So a lot of the time, the media would take the view that they don't know who John is, and they'll say, listen, is, 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 did he make himself feel for taking all those steroids and bodybuilding drugs? No, not in this example. Uh, and, and again, imagine, if, I, I've got a couple of buddies here that have colon issues, Crohn's with colitis, uh, and the ability to retain muscles is incredibly difficult. The ability to digest food is incredibly difficult. You know. Um, adapting and overcoming is, is very very hard both of them are reasonably athletic and so I've got a sort of vague idea of how that works I, I've i spoken to them I know what they have to do sometimes I know how they suffered with their medical issues and to still be able to train and still be getting this stuff done to still retain muscle still be strong is incredibly difficult John had multiple issues especially earlier on and still got a program. still did this stuff so yeah it's it's it's, uh, it's interesting from that perspective, and it's definitely worth making clear. Something in terms of, um, I think it's something that we're going to really get into in a little while, is the love that he had for training, the love that he had for being a bodybuilding, and the love he had for passing that information on. And, of course, which is important, I think Steve and I do this ourselves, hopefully, the learning from his experience and benefiting other people with his experience. Even the negative experiences that we're talking about just health-wise here. Learning how to treat yourself, learning how to stay healthy, learning how to keep muscle, learning how to be strong, and learning how to be a great athlete, and then passing that information on. So as terrible as these things are, including his background, his upbringing, it made him a better athlete. It made him a great teacher. And obviously, this is the reason why, as Steve's already said, that he, his the respect that he had in the industry came from this. Terrible, terrible start- well upbringing, lots of health issues in a, in a perverse kind of way made him a fantastic athlete and a fantastic mentor to a lot of people. Back yeah. So
0: we're going to get into this training shortly. Let's go over his social media a little bit. 1 million followers between all his platforms, his Instagram. I love his Instagram page. It's all positive. It's no bullshit. He doesn't like rail on, you know, uh, on issues and ideology and, talk his, uh, pushes personal uh, beliefs, you know, so that's good. I like that. Um, He keeps things neutral. That's a smart businessman. That's how it should be. Lots of food pictures, bodybuilding pictures, his family pictures of various travels. That's cool that he has pictures, had pictures of his family up because he didn't grow up with a family. You know, his parents passed away when he was young. So he missed that growing up. So he's able to cherish that as an adult. And another thing that's really cool about him, there were projects that he worked on before his death. He was a football coach, a youth football coach. So that's really cool. He was CEO of a company called Granite Supplements, Mountain Dog Diet, and MegaFit Meal. So he was able to do a lot of businesses out there to kind of showcase his talent. So he was a busy man. So that's really good to see as well. Everyone should be busy like that. You know, you take time to teach the younger generation about this stuff, and then you take time to, you know, start your own business as well. And in the end, it's a win for everybody. You're making money, you're helping people. That's what it's all about. So let's get into his nutrition and training mobster. So I'll talk about a little bit of his nutrition. The thing about John that I also liked a lot is that he took his nutrition very seriously. He believes that you should only eat meat, animal products from animals fed their natural diets. And I, this is something I stress on the forums all the time. When you go eat at a restaurant or fast food, 99% of the time, it's crap. It's just factory farms. The animals are abused. The animals aren't fed what they're supposed to be eating. Makes absolutely no sense. Just like with eggs, you know, should a, a chicken be in a cage and fed crap? Or, you know, hormones and all this other garbage, antibiotics, or should it be out in nature, pecking around, eating bugs off the ground, eating seeds in the sunshine, getting getting the vitamins from the sun, all that stuff? Which egg should you choose? Which, egg, which fish should you choose? Should you choose a fish that was caught in the ocean, in the clean ocean? Or should you pick a fish that was grown in an aquarium that hasn't been cleaned in two years? So... You know, that's it's all about food choices, guys, what you put in your body. Another thing that he believed, which is also something that I try to preach on the forums, is he believed in good fats. Fats, good fats are your friends, natural fats are your friends. Bad fats are your enemy, but good fats are your friends. So you shouldn't shy away from them. Another thing he believed in is controlling blood sugar and insulin to keep yourself lean and mean. So that's another thing that I stress on the forums. Eating. You know, eating in a window, don't throw food at your body 15 hours out of the day. You should throw food at your body two to six hours a day, or maybe eight hours a day at the most. Don't keep throwing your food at food at your body from the first time you wake up all the way to when you go to sleep and then get up in the middle of the night and throw more food at your body. This is stuff he believed in, guys. This is how he was able to stay lean and keep his blood sugar under control. So, Mobster, I'm curious to hear about his training. How does his training differentiate from other guys?
1: Let me touch on the nutrition very briefly. Um, Again, going back to those two buddies I mentioned, the Crohn's and colitis. uh, One of them uh, is a a super good buddy of mine in terms of uh, training and we, older gentlemen swapping information backwards and forwards and picking each other's brains, is that he has to have very nutrient-dense food because there are periods of time where he has a a, a lot of bleeding from the stomach. And you can imagine what that's like without being graphic. And so there are times when he's able to absorb nutrition and the times when he can't because the stomach and the colon's giving him problems. Specifically, Crohn's is, I believe, ulceration of the lower intestine. And so he has very nutrient-dense food. He'll experiment with specific diets from other Crohn's sufferers. And so I can see here John, for example, being a big fan of fat. And in fact, I'm reading, uh, or just finished reading, book two of Master Smoke and Mirrors with Randy Roach. The late Randy Roach talks about how fat was quite high in, in uh, the forties and fifties diets. And again, I'm thinking here, that so you're talking about fat as an energy source, you're using it, don't be afraid of it, stuff like that. And it's things where we're talking about healthy fats and how it's utilised in the diet. So that's very important. Training, I, I, whether i been specific about John's personal training, what caught my eye even before we decided to include John uh, in a podcast was that John was one of those guys that looks for, and I think Sergio Olivier Jr. is a good example here, he would look for the exact specific body position, point of flexation, point of contraction, finding how to do the exercise best. And I'm, and again, Sergio Olivier talks about, for example, it was I think he was doing some kind of, I think it's leverage or cable row, something like this. And he's pulling the weight into the body, he's, he's in a seated position, and, 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 and he said that John was the fellow that got him to arch his back as he pulled the muscle into that point of contraction. So what you see with John and what you see with a lot of his videos is not necessarily some great insight in terms of this amount of sets, this amount of reps, these kind of exercises. No, it seems to be more a case of teaching you, right, if you want to hit the upper chest, this is how to make this exercise for the upper chest better and to, to work out how to specifically target certain muscles Now that I mean. You you understand? I don't necessarily do that with my kind of training because I'm more of a strength athlete. The weight moves from A to B, and any way that I can get the weight from A to B within the rules is as good as it gets. But if I was a bodybuilder, the the ways to contract and put the ultimate best kind of stress on the muscle, non-injured kind of obviously, is everything, and it should be everything. How to make the exercise more intense? How to make the exercise 100% effective, that kind of stuff, or well, as close as you possibly can, how to isolate a muscle. And this is where it, guys go off and watch some of John's videos. you will say what you're doing wrong with your chest and how to correct it. And it might be a simple thing of pulling the shoulder blades down when you're laying on a bench. It might be a thing of uh, pulling your hands together when you're holding a bar when the bench press, for example, and learning how to contract your pectoralis muscles and to take out, for example, your front delts. And this is, a, this is where John showed because he, again, like I said earlier on, this is not just him showing you how to do an exercise well, but him enjoying showing you how to do an exercise well. And, and, and the, as much as attraction, for example, from social media comes into it, it's also John thinking, if I can get 20, 30, 100 guys to change train their training, then I've got 100 guys that have made their chest better, their arms better, their quads better. And he's not, he's not I guarantee you, he's doing some kind of PT work when he's alive, I go, to used training and got clients, et cetera. But here's a guy giving you this information on YouTube, on Instagram, for free. It's, you don't get Phil Heath showing you how to train forearms. You don't get the guys that will show you themselves in the gym training. Larry Rose is a good example. But well, what you're not necessarily getting from these guys is the nuances that made their biceps pop, that made their chest one of the best in the game, that made their back super wide. You're not necessarily getting to sit down and pick the brains unless you do this at some sort of seminar. Most of that comes now from them training you one-to-one. John is giving you this information or was giving you this information for free. You go on YouTube and you find one of his chest videos, his back videos. He's giving you this information. You'll see a pro like Sergio and go over and work with him for half an hour. Now Sergio says, my back is probably the best it's ever been and my rows are the best they've ever been because of the way that John showed me how to arch my back, the way that he got me to curve my spine the this position and lift my chest up and stuff like that. I, I do this from time to time. i have saw Steve Lee does it. We don't go around tapping guys on the shoulder in the gym, but that's every so often we'll get asked, every so often someone will say, do you know what's the best way to do this? Am I doing it right? And you get five minutes for that person and you've passed on a bit of information. John is doing this too. I mean, just an example of YouTube. Nearly six hundred thousand people, and that means some of his videos are going to get twenty or thirty thousand views. And if if a couple of thousand guys learn how to train their chest better, that's another inch or two inches on all those chests all over the world. And I think John enjoyed this; he he got pleasure from being able to pass on that information and and affect people's lives and benefit their bodies. And and, and with YouTube for 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 no profit, just because he could. Back to you Steve.
0: Yeah, we lost one of the good guys for sure. August 2021, guys, we're um, we're recording this podcast uh, shortly after it. But he died uh, 49 years old, already dead. Didn't make it to to 50. So, um, yeah, life is short, guys. Take advantage of it. Uh, The death was caused, as Mobster has alluded to, pulmonary embolism. And what that is is a blood clot that travels to the lungs and blocks blood flow. And, you know, this is something that we have to really be careful of, guys, uh, especially in bodybuilding, because the way we mess around, we stress our organs, the inflammations in our body from using, you know, steroids and bodybuilding and carrying all this muscle mass. This is something that's definitely going to reduce your lifespan. So obviously, as Mobster alluded to, did steroids directly affect his lifespan? No, they did not. But could they have combined with his prior existing conditions, you know, help help? Push them over the edge, you know, indirectly. They, you have to remember anabolic steroids, they aren't inflammatory in the body. So they are going to cause small things to become bigger. So, and as you're putting all that mass, that's also going to make your body have to carry all that mass. So it's going to be more stress on the body just having all that muscle. And he did have a lot of muscle for a guy who's five foot six. Being how much he weighed and having that low body fat, um, that means you have a lot of muscle, whether it's fat or muscle on your frame. You're 225 pounds at five foot six. That's huge. I mean, he's he's my height, and I've never been over 200 pounds. And when I was near 200 pounds, I was huge, and I couldn't do cardio to save my life when I was that that big. So I can imagine being 225 at that height, un- unbelievable, and being low body fat. So, you know, some of the warning signs, guys, you should watch for for this type of condition. If you start getting shortness of breath, blood being coughed up, obviously that's a big one, back pain, leg pain, blue lip lips and nails, and dizziness. So, guys, uh, when he was younger, as we as I alluded to earlier – he didn't go to the doctor if he started having symptoms of something wrong. And it took a big thing happening for him to finally get around to going to the doctor. So, if you have any of these side effects, guys, I mean, come on, if you're coughing up blood, something is wrong. You really should go see a good quality doctor. Now, here's another thing that I've noticed over the years with training. Sometimes you deal, with this type of thing, like leg pain, back pain, shortness of breath, stuff like that from a hard workout. You'll have a hard workout, you'll have pain. I went through that with my shoulder. My right arm would hurt like every day, my right arm would hurt. But because I was always in the gym lifting weights, I could not di- differentiate between an injury and just normal gym grind. So when you're pounding weights every day and you're working out, you're it's hard for you to figure out, hey, what's really going on versus is this just being sore from the from a gym workout so it took me finally wake up in the middle of the night where my right shoulder and right arm i couldn't even feel it for me to finally go into the doctor and get my mri and the doctor tell me hey yeah you have a torn shoulder so i torn my shoulder literally like a year and a half prior to that and i didn't even know it so um yeah monster, jump in for sure I just want to say
1: this. We we see quite often on the forums, the uh, younger guys especially guilty of this. I hope you guys are listening. Where us older guys and knowledgeable, more experienced guys, definitely more experienced, will will try to say to them, you listen, you need to be thinking about these things for your future. You need to be aware of whether it's an injury in the back or the shoulder or the pec or the bicycle or whatever whether as, as you say, whether it's ignoring blood tests and so on and so forth. When we say, guys, come on, what looks like not a big deal now and you're convinced that you're invincible and you've got a gung-ho attitude and, and or you'll come up with the immortal, you know, live fast, die young, guys, you will change your mind and you'll change your mind when you get a woman and, and, you, and you have kids and all that kind of stuff. So we go, right, listen, we know you're going to change your mind because we've done what you did. And, and when we see these kind of things come up, we go, right, Go off and get that medical issue sorted. Your bodybuilding career will wait. Your, those extra five pounds of muscle, that, that can happen in a few more weeks. Go off and get this medical thing sorted out. Because, I mean, John, John at 49, I'm 57. He didn't even make it, as you said, to 50. And I don't think John was ignoring this stuff, but we do see a lot of this. So don't ignore it, go and get it fixed. I know the older guys again getting at the gym. I can think of four fellas off the top of my head with torn biceps. I've never had a torn bicep. I've, I throw around ridiculous weights on, on, on curls. Absolutely ridiculous to the point where it's, it's, it's definitely throwing that weight around. But it's crazy, crazy, pulling my body all over the place heavy. Never had a torn bicep. And these guys are doing a lot lighter weights than me. And for whatever reason, wearing said, and jobs they've done, whatever else, torn biceps. You go, right, don't ignore this stuff. Don't, you know, if, again, the inflammatory aspect of steroids. How many times Steve knows the answer to this already? Biceps and pec tears are tenopedi because your biceps and your and your pec and your quads and whatever have got super big, super quick, super fast, super strong, and your tendons don't. Your tendons take ages, two or three times, four times as long to get to the same level of strength where they'll match this new level of strength that's come with a steroid that's affected your bicep and your pec. It used to happen all the time in the 80s. The guys were getting pec tears. Strong men, even now, still training their biceps. You've got plenty of videos. You can see this guy's stuff. So you go, don't ignore. Do, do those recuperation exercises. Take some time off of heavy training. And if you do take a dose of steroids, it blows you up real, real quick. Your connective tissues, your tendons, your fascia, around the muscles, all those things will take a while to catch up with the muscle. They really will. And that's just, that's just the reality. That's just straightforward biology. So don't ignore this stuff. And again, when it comes to the blood test, do not ignore super high cholesterol levels, bad, this, bad, that Steve knows about the blood test better than I do, he's, he's, a, he's our forum expert. Don't ignore these things, guys. A little bit of elevation, on cycle, fine. But all the time, we don't we, know we, the guy that we had on the forum the other day, Steve, and he was talking about a heart rate of 109 while he's sitting in the doctors because of the amount of caffeine that he was taking. 109, what, well, you're just sitting there at the docks? Come on, guys, get those things sorted. I don't want my evolutionary buddies to be dropping down dead at 35, 40, 49 years of age. I want my evolutionary buddies to be with me 10, 15 years from now, and they're still bullshitting and yanking each other's chain and all that kind of stuff, but still hitting the gym. And relative to our PD use, still being kind of healthy. Back to you, Steve.
0: Yeah. Another thing too, with shoulders and joints and stuff is mobility. And the more you work out, the less mobility that you're going to get as your muscles get bigger. And you're actually decreasing your mobility in the process and decreasing your flexibility. So yoga, yoga is something I should have been doing throughout my thirties, but I didn't, I didn't take the time to do yoga. I started stretching, but it was too late. So yoga is really good once or twice a week to go to a yoga class and increase that mobility, increase the flexibility in your joints. And that will prevent injuries long-term all the top professional athletes. They've been stretching since they were four years old. That's, that's something that they all do guys. So look, they do it. I mean, you have to just, you have to do it. You have to take the time to stretch. If you can spend an hour and a half, you know, jerking around in the gym, socializing, playing with your phone and between doing sets of weight training, then you can also do mobility work. You can go to a yoga class for an hour, once or twice a week to increase your uh, mobility. That's gonna save you from having problems that I've had and other guys have had o- over the years. So one of the things too, before we get into uh, John's steroid cycle was his humility. And he talks a lot about in his videos cause he works with the younger generation. He says they work as hard as his generation did and he and how he doesn't agree with how they are criticized. So we see a lot of this, a lot of uh, bitterness uh, with the older guys. You know, some of these guys on social media who they're in their 50s and 60s and even 70s. They like to bitch. Oh, younger generation is this, this. I was someone who was a weightlifting coach. And I agree. I agree with John Meadows 100 percent. The younger generation, they work just as hard. As the older generations do. They just do it differently. You know, they, they, they get information differently. And it's, a, it's definitely like a microwave society where everything is fast, fast, fast. So the impatience is definitely there. But in all in all, like you can't sit there and be bitter and be, you know, angry about the younger generation and bitch about them. That's not helping the situation, especially when you were the ones that raised (laughs) that generation. So your generation (laughs) raised that generation. When that generation gets older, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to be bitter. They're going to bitch about the younger generation. It's always happens throughout history. I remember when I was a kid, the older generation would bitch about my generation. So. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's the cool thing about him. He had that humility to understand uh, the differences in the generations. Go ahead, Yep, yeah.
1: I'm just thinking of something here, and, and, and I made a note while you were talking there, Steve. I mean, I've probably been as guilty of anybody of doing exactly the same things, and yet I've taught my daughter to be objective and to go off and do her research about certain things and see both sides of the story, and yet I've probably been as guilty of some of the things you said. What's interesting, I think, here from, from John's point of view is, let's go back to what we talked about right at the beginning. John is deliberately making sure that he did not have to put on his family and the generation. There's photographs of the family together. I think of the Just Giving page and the reason why it ended up with, us just look, Steve, a quarter of a million bucks donated towards John and his family because of his love for his family and because of course of the kind of crappy life that he'd had. So he deliberately said to himself, I'm not going to put that on my family my wife and my kids, the bitter and twisted attitude that I could easily have with my upbringing and be completely messed up, like we you know so many people. No, I'm going to make my relationship with my wife and my kids a positive one, a loving one, an educational one, uh, you know, to encourage them. And I think one of the things he's got him down as a soccer coach. It's this kind of thing where he says, Listen, I'm going to be the best dad I can be, the best parent I can be, the best husband I can be, because Otherwise, it's going to be a completely bitter and twisted and messed up individual. And just like that, you as you say, you end up criticising everyone, being negative about everything. And can you imagine having that kind of relationship with someone when you come home and that's, that, that, that's the vibe? No, John never seemed to have that. And so, as I say, just as on the just giving us an example stage, I think it was, was $190,000 within 10 to 14 days. I look just now and it's over $250,000 that people donated. I think there was two or three contributors, four contributors that put $1,000 plus. I think one person put $10,000 in. So that's how much he was respected. And this, the, the aim of the Just Giving thing, as I recall, was towards helping and supporting his family with, the, with everything that was going on. And that just shows you the kind of guy that he was and the kind of family fellow that he was. And hopefully, as I say, a, 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 as a man, how respected he was because he could have eas- so so easily gone the other way, so easily been a negative kind of guy, and 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 you could argue quite properly with a reasonable excuse. Because look how shit my background is, look how crap my life was when I was young. I he could have ended up
0: day. growing up and being yeah. going to prison and being a yeah. bad boy yeah. like he some of these guys were yeah. doing. Yeah,
1: kicking off on the street, all the kind of stupid shit. And yeah. If you ever get hold of these kind of people, you talk about abuse or or their inability to read and all that. On nothing, nothing, none of that. Educated himself, got out there, kicked ass, got trophies, got his pro card, not even on the first try, but multiple tries. Ended up an amazing looking, gnarly kind of bodybuilder and, 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 and such a positive example of someone who could have been negative but wasn't. And then, not only that, as I said earlier, I went out there and spread the love to go with me. Let, let's get into the PD use. Uh, yep. and think- so, in, yeah. So, we talked about you- his
0: PDs a little earlier, but let's get into his cycle. Well,
1: do a specifically, yeah, when we say, I think you mentioned something here about the, uh, this, the difference, I'll let you touch on this the difference between high dosages and smart dosages, Steve.
0: So, yeah, I mean, we, uh, John Meadows, you know, he talked about sterile use. Um, he says there is a difference between pile driving high dosages and running smart dosages. And he actually made a prediction in a video. That um, we would see people have problems with their kidneys due to abusive steroid use. And he's been proven correct on that. So one of the steroid cycles that we can speculate that he messed around with back in the 2010s when he was earning his pro card. You got to remember this guy, five foot six, 225 pounds, 230 pounds. He was huge for his height. There's a difference between being six foot tall and 220 pounds and being five foot six and 220 pounds. Trust me. It's um, it's a huge, huge difference. So you look at him and you're like, wow, this guy is huge. You guys can go on his Instagram and look at his pictures. He is a massive gentleman. So even though, you know, he's not, you know, one of the top bodybuilders of the 2010s, obviously he still, you know, worked his way up. He didn't have the greatest genetics. He was able to use anabolic steroids to kind of help him reach his goals. Um, And one of the things obviously in the 2010s they were messing around with was testosterone. Testosterone was and is still a steroid that is utilized at the pro level, you know, maybe 800 milligrams a week of that. And then primobolin. Primobolin kind of is one of those steroids that you can run a lot of, it doesn't come with side effects. So you can run a high dosage of it and it's not going to screw with you as much as other steroids. So 1200 milligrams a week would be a dosage of that very, very expensive steroid, but very good. If you want to cut very good, if you want to put on lean muscle mass, the next one, Tremblone, Tremblone was definitely something they were using in the 2010s. And to this day, they're definitely using Tremblone. If you don't use Tremblone you're just not going to be able to stay up with your competition. So to become a legitimate pro and getting a legitimate pro card at that level, you would have had to mess around with, with Tremblone. It's just the necessary evil. So, you know, we could speculate maybe 600 milligrams a week of trembolone, which is a huge dosage. I mean, I've run 250 and it had amazing results. So I can't even imagine 600. Some of these guys are running even more. Uh, the guys at the higher levels, the Mr. Olympia guys, I'm sure, are running over a gram of uh, of trembolone. And then the last one I'm going to talk about before Mobster talks about some of the other compounds he was using is Masteron. And Masteron was something that came around, I think, in the 90s and then into the, into the 2000s for sure. And today, Masteron is one of the most used steroids. The thing is, if you use Masteron by itself, it's not going to do really anything except harden up your muscles. But when you're using it as part of a stack it's going to have really good synergy it's kind of like you know peanut butter and jelly sandwich it's it's definitely something you want to run with trenbolone and testosterone it's going to harden you up it's going to it's going to help dry you out it's going to help those veins pop out of your skin uh, it's a tremendous steroid so a gram of mastron a week is going to is definitely going to be something that someone in the 2010s would have used to achieve a pro card Mobster, what do you think about the other stuff? And tell us a little bit about uh, the other stuff. I'm
1: looking down here, and obviously the difference between some, a fact, for example, your mention of the 600 milligrams a week trembolone. When we've done previous podcasts, as Steve knows, we, we we've some we know for a fact because they've admitted to it. Some of this stuff's come out obviously when the person's passed away or after they finish their career, or whatever else. So we know the doses of trembolone now in the 2020s are higher. So this is a 600 milligram dose for an average listener would be way too high, three, four hundred milligrams. And even and especially if you've never used this drug before. Just just today, I, I replied to a post on a forum where someone was asking about the you know not being able to sleep on, on Trembolone. And you're like, right. So you, you should know Trembolone causes what's so so called transomnia. In other words, you know, you're sweating and it keeps you awake. So these doses again are uh, what we think a pro like John would have been running in, in the mid-2010s. You, you could compare these cycles with Dallas McCarver's death cycle and other cycles from now, guys, to see that the doaches are definitely different. That's just as an example where 100 milligrams a day of Winstrol is almost reasonable and would almost be reasonable if, if, they, if he wasn't taking the under 1,200, 600,000 milligrams a week of the other drugs for a user. But when, again, this is someone who's trying to get a pro card, Who's trying to get that little bit of polish to their physique and just tip it over. And in fact, when you you look at John's pro career or becoming a pro, that's exactly what he needed to do. It was a difference between almost and nearly and then getting a pro card. And there are plenty of photographs you guys can find online and and, and, and to see just exactly what the look that he attained When he got that pro card, as I said, it was one of those things where he probably needed a little bit of polish, a little bit of trying out, a little tiny bit more shape because he was so, so close prior to that. The the, 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 uh, 150 milligrams a day of annaval, again, would be typical of that time. It would be way too much, in my opinion, for someone who's just a listener, who wants to get in shape, wants to add a bit of muscle, Uh, even though it's a relatively safe drug. Again, it's that combination of someone who's trying to get a pro cards cycle all those things together, that makes it a high dose. And at 150 milligrams, it's a top end, Steve. I would probably go 50 milligrams and the highest that we would normally recommend for a typical user, and I do mean the highest would be 100. So, again, this is a, someone who's about to become a professional bodybuilder. The the HGH, there's two benefits here. First off, of course, is the lean, it's leaning him out, it's the ability to thin the skin, that kind of stuff that brings it – but equally, of course, because of his medical conditions, and I know this, again, referring to those two fellows I mentioned earlier on, the Crohn's and colitis, are hugely affected in a beneficial way by growth hormone use. So in, in a perverse way for John, the side effect of using an HGH and 15, 15 use a day is high. There's a lot of potential here for uh, carpal tunnel and some of the other issues that can come with human growth hormone use. In a perverse way for John would have been beneficial, not just as a... Some, again someone trying to become a pro at that time but also affecting the ability to repair uh, gut tissue and and the lining etc cetera, etc cetera, and potentially uh, treat at uh, above the levels that would be normally used by a doctor of human growth hormone to treat the medical condition that he was dealing with and the other issues uh something that we get into the last two drugs here specifically in fact in a perverse way but it's appropriate for the time John's use of what we're suggesting is John's use of insulin is kind of low. And I say low only in comparison to the last 10, 15 years. When you go back, if you go back over from 2010 to 2020, and you look at what we think pros are using insulin-wise, the suggestion here that John that might have used something like 10 IUs of insulin a day seems low. We, we've seen numbers out there, 20 IUs a day, 30 IUs a day, even, even higher. Uh, and again, I don't think it's something that John necessarily would have needed to go crazy with and would be typical of his time. So it's one of those things. And again, it's that combination of drugs, because you're getting into almost shopping list territory when it comes to the list. But it's someone who wants to become a pro, not necessarily some of you guys that are listening, that go to the gym and train and want to get good for the beach and and, and, and and for a wedding or whatever else, need to be thinking about It's what John did. It's what I need to do. It doesn't work right now. The last thing, of course, is typical of that time as a diuretic, and I want to get onto that specifically in a minute, Steve, is Lasix. And that was what the guys were using at that time. They didn't have access to, or I think, for example, it wasn't Lasix one of the ones that they could test for. So the reason that other diuretics has done that they being used was because they didn't show up on the test that was being used at the time. And I'm thinking, for example, around the time of when Jay Cutler and Sean Ray who had issues with testing at the Arnold and the Olympia. So Lasix was very commonly used at the time but become less common as it showed up in certain tests. And obviously, because other diuretics started to become more popular, and so therefore it became one of many that you could use for di- to, to get rid of water. And again, obviously, John, again, trying to become a pro bodybuilder to get his pro card using, hopefully, when we've got no suggestion of those here, a mild amount of diuretics to lose a little bit of water. Now, the specifics, and the thing I wanted to mention was, I talked to Stephen a pre-show about... The number of uh, bodybuilders and specifically female bodybuilders that have died in literally in the last few weeks i believe the number in in total is 12 in the last three or four weeks and eight of those were women and a lot of the information that's running around industry and that's been addressed on podcast elsewhere is specifically down to and i've got three drugs listed here one is diuretics uh, one is thyroid drugs and specifically fat dispersal agents now when you've got someone like Boston Lloyd, Mr. 3CC, who by reputation was doing five grams of gear a week, this is something he admitted to, and the whole 3CC was supposed to be how much? Three mil, every time I stick a needle and I'm putting three million. So when you've got Boston with this reputation, shocked and appalled at the level of diuretics and thyroid drugs, when, when someone says, Uh, it was meant to be 50 milligrams. And then they hear that a woman was taking a hundred and you got bossing going, hell, 50 milligrams is the most I ever took. And I'm a guy. And I felt like, shit, what the hell is this person doing taking 150 milligrams? Who are they working with? They say, on that list of drugs, on that list of craziness, on that kind of, what are these women? And again, it was guys as well, but it's the majority of the people that passed away literally in the last few weeks have been women doing absolutely crazy stuff to get into condition. And one point that came across, and it's important when it comes to any of the drugs that we talk about, but specifically diuretics and the fat dispersal agents, what came up was that these people had approached a guru, and I use that term very loosely here, two to three weeks before a competition when they were still in kind of fat, Steve, kind of out of shape got the muscle underneath and they're doing that stuff but they hadn't dieted properly the, their cycle that they were doing was kind of poor they didn't know what they were doing but what they would really done re- essentially is left it far far too late so then the guru and again very loosely puts them on a, a kind of like a, the craziest fat loss program the faziest water loss program you can think of because they've got them they're doing hours of cardio and taking a ton of thyroid drugs and taking a ton of diuresis and taking a ton of fat dispersal agents all of which, of course, put immense stress on the body. So what you've got to learn here, guys, and I'm sure John, if he hasn't already in any of his videos, would have been one to tell you this. Get into condition as much as you can through diet and through training and conditioning and start doing that right at the beginning of your approach to a competition. 16 weeks, 12 weeks out. Do not get fucked up fat three weeks out from a competition and then do something which, as we can see, as I just mentioned, has risked your life. Specifically, eight of those 12 people in the last few weeks passing away were women doing crazy shit with diuretics and fire or drugs and fat dispersal agents. And I'm sure there's probably some D B in there too, Steve. Absolutely crazy, crazy stuff for three weeks to get rid of fat, just they can look in condition on stage. Do that stuff right at the beginning. Get in shape at the beginning be ready two weeks out do not turn up to a guru who's going to throw a bucket load of crazy amounts of drugs when you've got like i said boston lloyd shocked and appalled at some of the protocols and his whole reputation was based on shocking and appalling people with what he was doing you've got to say to yourself that's kind of crazy now as you can see i i I bet john back then would have been a kind of guy that educated himself you know that from when he was at school. How much was effective? How, how, uh, what was not getting him the pro card versus what got him? I guarantee it was another couple of weeks of work. He might have started, instead of doing a 12 or 14 week competition, something does 16 weeks. He takes that a little bit longer to get Might have started dieting 25 weeks there. If that's what it took to be in shape on the day, don't leave it to the last minute, guys. Don't be, Steve, what do we see on the forum sometimes? I'm going on, I'm, I've I had a surprise holiday or I'm about to get married, I've got four weeks, what can I do about chopping a leg off, guys? You you need to be in, don't let yourself get so out of shape that you have to do crazy stuff to get into shape. And I'm telling you now, my opinion on John was that he would have educated himself on this stuff. He would have learned this stuff. He would have gone out and not made the same mistake as others is how he got his pro card. He looked at what he was doing wrong. He looked at what more he needed to do. He learned his shit. He learned how to approach these things properly. He said, what can I do? How can I train harder? How can I train better? How can can I make my training more effective? How can I make these drugs more effective? And he's doing this with the medical conditions that he's got. So he has to learn how to do this stuff. He has to be educated. He has to be on point. And I I'll big up Steve here. You get people coming to you, Steve, as clients. And sometimes it's real small changes that you're getting them to do that makes the, everything they've done to that point more effective. I, I go for this sometimes when I'm talking about on the forums. I ask the question that sometimes not asked because I say, what else aren't you doing? What, what, what medical issues are you dealing with? What, what, what in your life haven't you changed? Do you need to make some lifestyle change? Sometimes we get guys just asking us about gear, Steve, when we know damn well their diets are bad or they're not training hard enough or they haven't given themselves long enough to get into shape. And we know that. So we ask those questions and we we do the relevant stuff. And I guarantee you, this is what John did, not just with his clients, but with himself, with the people that he was dealing with, but specifically with himself. Don't leave it to the last minute. Do not do crazy stuff with these crazy drugs that's going to end up putting you in a box and a hole and no one gives a fuck. Back to you, Steve.
0: Guys, that sums it up. We're out of time. This is episode 158, John Meadows. A great guy. We need more John Meadows out there. We need less bitter, you know, older guys. We need guys like this in, in their 50s to kind of
1: guide pass, pass on the love you guys have. Yeah. Steve and I
0: do this and knowledge. You, you gotta do. pass the, the knowledge pass as well. Instead of being down. being selfish. And that's what Mobster and I, Mobster and I are talking about on a pre-show. We don't have to do this. We don't have to be on the forums. We do this because nope. we wanna spread. The knowledge we have to, we want to gain the knowledge. We're always learning new things. We're always spreading the knowledge and getting knowledge from each other. That's how we better ourselves in bodybuilding is by spreading knowledge, not just being an asshole and holding on to it and then putting other people down. So we got to spread the positivity and spread our knowledge to other people. In patience, you got to be patient with people, and they'll they'll turn around if you're patient with people they'll turn to your appointment, And that's what John Meadows was all about. He's about patience, humility, and giving back to the younger generation to better improve them. So mobster definitely final thoughts and take us into our disclaimer. If you're in the gym guys and you see a
1: buddy that's just grinding and you think they're doing real well and they need a little pat on the back, guy give them a pat on the back. You don't need to be one of those guys that's telling everybody how to train whether they've asked you to do it or not. But if someone's kicking ass, Good session. If someone's looking at they getting in shape for a competition or just a holiday and it's coming down, if you, if you give one tip to someone to show them how to do something with foot placement on the leg press or, or, or flexing your quads a specific way on the leg extension just to make that exercise a little bit more effective, you're passing it on. If you come on the forums and you say something you did that got you into shape, pass it on. Pass it on. Make sure we haven't said it a million times already, but pass it on. And there's the thing like I said, if you love training and getting into shape and your strength or whatever, and you, and, and you see someone else in the gym or on the forums who's in that place that you was 10 years ago, pick them up, pick them up and take them with you. Sometimes for me, I feel like grabbing people by the throat and sort of trying to shake them into being sensible, but it's still with that idea that they become something special it 10 years, five years down the road that they put on another five pounds of muscle because you put him in the right direction.
0: That's so, what John Meadows would want. That's what John Meadows yeah. would want, guys. That's be, what he be, was loved for. Right? Be, a yeah, be a mentor.
1: Yeah, be a mentor. He passed on the love for it, the sport that he had. It made him a better person when he could have been bitter and twisted. And I think that's the reason he ended up with that love and respect. He'll be the first guy to tell you, well done on getting your program right up there with Jay Cutler and other people. It'd be the first person to send you a dm on instagram if you thought you were doing real well that's the reason why he had the love and affection that he got from everybody else in the industry i haven't heard i mean that's i said i'll tell her one bad thing and and i'll, I'll deal with this real quick let's do with the the idea that he's supposed to be an a nice guy when he had this crew with him when they were filming videos and a bunch of other people in the industry said bullshit john's like this when there's no film crew when there's nothing there with just them and one other person in the room, and John was still a nice guy. And that's the reason why he's loved. He was a genuinely loved, lo- nice guy who loved what he was doing. And that love came across to everybody else in the industry. And sometimes you forget when you're a top professional bodybuilder. This is what we do. This is who we are. And it's not always appreciated by the fans. But John was a fan because of the love. And he was a pro. He got that, and he spread that around. And that's the reason why he's popular. I'll get to this, the last bits now. Of course, as always, please note, we're not doctors, and the opinions that we do on these podcasts are ours and ours alone. It is our view, and it's based on experience and views on the topic that come over many, many years. At podcasts, or for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment.